Hello and welcome to this, the fifth in a series of podcasts from Polity. My name is George Miller, and my guest in this programme is Daniel Miller, who is Professor of Material Culture at University College London. Danny is the author of several books on the Polity list, chief among which is perhaps Stuff, a manifesto for the study of material culture, and a new way of looking at the objects that surround us and make up so much of our social and personal lives. When we met recently, it was to discuss Danny's new book, Tales from Facebook, which looks at the consequences of being a Facebook user on people's lives. How is it changing our behaviour and modes of interaction, especially between men and women? What is it doing to our sense of ourselves and of time? And is it ultimately a disruptive or a conservative force? Some of these questions we tackle in this interview. All of them you'll find treated in more depth in the book itself, which in addition to analysis presents a dozen pen portraits of Facebook users in Trinidad, a society which Miller has been studying for many years and which is the focus of this book, in order to explore their experiences in detail. I began by putting to Miller the widely held assumption that because users can carefully craft their profiles on Facebook, there is something essentially inauthentic, manufactured and superficial about it. We're not, in other words, getting access to the real person. Yes, I mean, people have the idea that Facebook is, as it were, merely a performance or it's merely kind of showing off or that it's, it is, uh, because it's just surfaces, it's, you know, photos and a few quotes. Whereas if you really met the person, you would actually have a much deeper encounter. Partly, I think there's a misunderstanding of what usually happens when you actually meet people. The idea that somehow the the sort of depth of the person is going to be immediately available to you simply because you're in the same room and can, as it were, smell them is, is obviously illusory. Actually, Facebook provides a, a sort of insight into the way people have, in a sense, deliberately crafted themselves and put themselves out there. And one of the problems with this idea that face-to-face is some kind of truth is, actually, if you think about it, when you meet somebody, I mean, the fact they have freckles or they're tall or they're good-looking or not good-looking is got nothing to do with who they are and what their personality uh, might be like or something that, that you would really need to know about them. A lot of this is kind of the what we call the fate of physiognomy. Actually, the point about Facebook is this is somebody who who has taken on the labour of trying to present themselves to the world and I think in therefore is a more authentic expression in some ways of who you are. But again, it's not, as it were, just me that might say that. Um, one of the points of working in a different society is that it's a society where it's generally held to be the case that what people actually craft for themselves is more truthful and, uh, and gives you more insight as to who they are than merely um, the person you happen to meet on a face-to-face basis. So the new book on Facebook comes within a sequence of studies that you've done on on mobile phones and the internet. But you're not interested in technology qua technology, are you? You're interested in what it enables humans to do in a communicative way. Um, I'd almost put it a slightly different way. I think the problem with studies of these technologies is they uh, will focus on technology. They will also focus on what you said, what enables people to do. What I felt is really neglected in the study of media which in a way I think is the thing we ought to be focusing upon, is in the end we want to know what are the consequences of these media on people's lives. Not just how do they communicate with it, but how does it impact on everything else we might want to know about them, because these media do have serious consequences. And it's that kind of long-term effects of the media that you can see on family life or on their economic life or whatever else seems to be a, a relevant impact that is actually the focus of my studies. And I suppose the general cultural assumption is that the effects of things like Facebook are possibly deleterious, that they are causing some kind of cheapening of culture or 
of of human relations um it's i mean is, is that is that a fair sort of a, assumption well it's one half of it i mean if you look at the popular books and there are many on the impact of new media and particularly things like facebook and social networking you'll find on the one hand um there is exactly that that this is the loss of depth um this is the uh, loss of true social relations which would be there in face-to-face life everyone's looking at screens instead of as it were interacting with each other on the other hand you'll also get hype in exactly the other kind of corner where everyone's saying this is a sort of brave new world World. it's a liberating world um, it allows and enables and empowers uh, us to be all sorts of things we couldn't uh, be it's cognitively either efficient or deficient and they tend often to be kind of rather universalistic sort of psychology based theories of course when you actually engage with the technology in the context of people's lives it's never going to be that kind of wide generalizing it's never going to be entirely good or entirely bad it's not even really something that is easy to adjudicate it is more that the impact is complex and contradictory and we need to get on with the study of it. For this study you chose not to focus on Facebook users in London or New York or Sydney or wherever. You chose Trinidad. Tell me why. I suppose the main point of this kind of ethnographic research is to insist that there is no such thing as Facebook. Facebook is what users do with it. And even if I'd gone to, say, the US, which seems the obvious place, I could have studied the US college kids, which is what most people study. But these days you could probably study the elderly in Texas, who would have been completely different. Whether you'd studied women or men or upper class or or middle class, there isn't a a true uh, user of Facebook that defines what Facebook book is. So there is no alternative other than to take a given population and say we study what that population does with Facebook. And one of the points about taking someone like Trinidad is nobody expects Trinidad to be the exemplification of what Facebook really is. And that allows people to recognize that actually their thoughts that, you know, US college kids was the true Facebook don't hold water when Facebook is actually now mainly seeing its increases in places like Indonesia and Turkey. The point about anthropology is we don't privilege any one population over another. You pick a population and that becomes the definition of the thing you're studying. You say in the book, when Facebook washed up on the shores of Trinidad, it felt as though someone in the US who had never heard of the place had unwittingly invented an instrument that is a purest expression of Trinidadian culture. I thought that was a very interesting idea, exemplifying really what you were just saying. Tell, Tell me a bit more about how that Culture is expressed through Facebook. I mean, when you're in Trinidad, often people don't even talk about Facebook. They've got two local terms. They've got Facebook, that's F-A-S book, and Maco book, that's M-A-C-O book. Now, these are two Trinidadian dialect terms. Fast means that you should take time over getting to know somebody. People who are too fast are really trying to know all about you and and become your friend really rather too quickly than than etiquette would normally allow. Maco is the trini for being just incessantly nosy, uh, minding other people's business and spending all your time sort of gossiping and and, uh, caring about what other people are doing. Now, the fact that Trinidadians refer to Facebook as Facebook and Maco book means that they recognise that Facebook simply fits with their ideas about themselves, that Trinis will be what they call mecocious or fast. And uh, Facebook provides a wonderful instrument to really express that particular facet of, as it were, Trinidadian life. Now, other societies may have their own views about it, but I think there is some grounds for, you know, Trinis, I think, do like to... um, 
gossip and they're very interested in scandal and things. So immediately they can see that Trinidad produces effects, which also recognized as quintessentially Trinidadian. So they often refer to things like Bacchanal, because the problem with Facebook is that it can easily lead to scandal, because somebody, say, has been tagged with a photo that was with a companion they perhaps shouldn't have been with. And when scandal erupts, that causes Bacchanal. And Bacchanal is probably the one word that Trinis will most commonly use if you ask them, you know, how can you describe Trinidad in one, it just in one term? And that really stands for being Trinidadian. So at the end of the day, yes, I think Trinidadians look at Facebook and they think this is just so Trini. Now, tell me how you actually set about investigating Facebook in Trinidad, because I, I can sort of imagine if one were investigating circumcision rituals in New Guinea, how one might embed oneself and go about it. But how do you actually get to find out what is going on and what people feel about Facebook? Well, of course, I have an advantage here that I've been working in Trinidad for something like uh, 20 years. I've done three previous books about Trinidad. So I, there are many Trinis I have known for 20 years, and I know about many different aspects of their lives. So naturally, when I started going on Facebook myself, and I never had any intention of doing a study at that time, I was just like everybody else, I started to get more and more uh, Trinidadian friends. Then I started to appreciate that there were some interesting differences in the way that Trinis seemed to operate on Facebook from what I was used to um, in the UK and immediately that alerts me that there is actually um, it will be well worthwhile actually uh, doing a study specifically of Trinidadian usage so after having many months on Facebook with my own Trinidadian friends I then had the opportunity to go to Trinidad and while I was there, I really did a mixture. Um, some of this was engaging with people who I uh, knew very well, and I'd seen them in many other contexts, because it meant that you could then give their use of Facebook that wider context. I would know what these people were doing in terms of their family and their economic activities, etc. So I'd be able to gauge how Facebook kind of fitted in to all that wider context, which is something anthropologists generally seek to do. On the other hand, I also recognised there were certain questions that were developing around Facebook. For example, I was interested in the, whether it was appropriate or not to use the word community. So I deliberately sought out something that seemed sort of classic in terms of people's use of the term, a small little hamlet out in the kind of rural area. And I had friends who had friends there were doing other research and they introduced me. And I was able to spend some time sort of hanging out in this little hamlet and talking to a wide range of people there, and which is pretty typical of what anthropologists will do. It should never really be something confined either to just Facebook itself. I've always argued that if you want to understand online activities, you actually have to spend most of your time offline because nobody lives just online. To understand what they're doing online, often it's the contrast between how they appear online and offline that is actually most interesting. So you're always going to do that offline work as well. And you're always going to try and do it over the kind of longer term so that you see people uh, either on Facebook over a long period or they're people that you've, as I said, known in other projects and you can work with them from there. The first and, and larger part of the book is a sequence of 12 pen portraits of individuals. What were you, what were you, what were you seeking to achieve by, by presenting your research in that way? The reason for doing it, I think, is essentially readability. The, the problem with traditional anthropological reportage, as it were, is it's a tough read. It doesn't have narrative, and people like narrative, and people like stories. And also we have a natural empathy with 
individuals. It's something that is easy to relate to. And I think that my fascination with those people hopefully comes over in the text. People are the most interesting thing that one does in anthropology. Having said that, I'm not very much what you might call an individualist. I'm not a psychologist. We tend to see things in social terms. And if you look at the portraits, you'll find that although they're all written about individuals, they're all seeking actually to use that individual to make some larger argument, either about Trinidad or about Facebook or about uh, social relations. But I think the presentation of people through the individual draws readers in. And to be honest, I want this to be a good read. It might be interesting, Danny, just to talk a little bit in more detail about some of those um, pen portraits that you, you put in the book. I mean, Dr. Karamath is an interesting example. He's an older man in a particular phase of his life. Um, how, how is he using Facebook? The point about Dr. Karamath is that he's effectively become disabled. So although he's had to return to Trinidad, that really means he's just stuck in his house because he can't get out. But he was a very sort of cosmopolitan, uh, you know, international player, human rights lawyer. And this could have been really the end of life as, as, as far as he was concerned, the end of everything that was worthwhile in life. And what's fascinating is the way that he sees the potential for Facebook to, in effect, give him his life back. That he can go essentially online pretty much the whole of the day. Um, he finds a particular role in that everybody is swamped by information these days. And what he does is he aggregates information from, let's say, one sector to do with human rights or the environment. And he pairs it down and he brings it to the attention of others. So he feels that nearly the fact that he's got time to spend on Facebook gives him a new useful role. He also develops a completely new social circuit with um, some diaspora Indians in, in New York, in London, which works very well for him and, and for them more so and you start to see that actually although we associate Facebook with you know the university students and the youth because that's where it came from there's every reason to feel that in the long term the most important consequence of Facebook probably will be for the elderly it will be people who need it most because they suffer from restrictions it's harder to get out and yet they want to retain uh, their links with their family and, and wider social networks and I think that for Dr. Kamath is a very important portrait because he he demonstrates, I think, one of the key futures of Facebook around, say, the elderly, the disabled, and those who are kind of come to rely on that kind of social network. You're very honest in the book in saying that you thought that the Facebook game Farmville was probably a vain pursuit before you, you looked into it further. And then after your encounter with a boy called Arvind, you rather revised that view. Tell me, tell me about his case. Yes, I mean, it wasn't just a vain pursuit. I mean, I just dislike Farmville. I mean, if you look at the sort of cartoon characters, the way kind of it operates, I find it very hard to warm to Farmville until I met Arvind. But Arvind was somebody who was a very quiet, very gentle, and generally not very successful young man. He tried at various things, but none of them went right for him. And things were looking rather hopeless. He got on a course to uh, work as a carer, and most carers in Trinidad tend to be women and of course Arvind is very shy with women but it was those women that persuaded him to go on to Farmville in the first place and he really got hooked and became an veteran Farmville player and very good at it. Because Farmville is, is a social game um, you progress essentially by helping each other that 
brought him into interaction with the fellow students, and on that could build a wider friendship. So that now, when he goes into college, he kind of can chat to all these、uh, women, and he feels much more confident. And I think it's a, a case where Farmville has really、uh, been, again, hugely enabling to somebody who otherwise was almost a bit pathological in his in the difficulties he had in in just、uh, ordinary social relations. And so you start to see that Farmville, which I tended to see. Both as a, yes, to be honest, a kind of waste of time, and also just aesthetically, I just couldn't stand the thing. You start to understand that people using Farmville have adapted it and found ways to make it actually really rather a positive instrument. In which case,、um, you do have to, in the end of the day, to have some respect for this thing. And and maybe the, the final one of these portraits to pick out is the woman who runs a community arts centre and. Is really fascinating because she seems to be giving everything away about her life, but in fact, you say a lot of it is is intensely private and, and concealed. Tell me, tell me about her because in the Trinidadian context, I thought she was absolutely fascinating. One of the reasons I focus on her is that we tend to have this very glib、uh, journalism about privacy and exposure. What I wanted to show was that actually,、um, at the level of an individual, things can be much more complex than that. Because Jani, this woman was actually one of the most private people I think I've ever met. She really kept the things that mattered to her very discreet, and、um, you didn't really know much about. You didn't know what kind of relationship she was having or anything like that. And yet, she was probably the most inveterate Facebook poster I've ever met. I mean. You know, you couldn't go online without seeing something from her, and that was、uh, the way she was. That she tended to,、um, in a sense, expel ideas or expel bits of poetry or things about what she was eating for. And as you got to know her better, you realised that these two things work together. That she was able to、um, keep that kind of core privacy precisely by kind of exporting the rest of her sort of personality into the public domain. So it made no sense to talk about her as either being private or giving up her privacy. You realise that within one individual, actually these two things articulate in, in very particular ways and actually can、uh, be dependent upon each other. It emphasises, I suppose, the multifariousness of. The ways in which the Trinidadians are using Facebook, doesn't it? Yes, because again, if you'd just written about, you know, Trinidadians do this or Trinidadians do that, it would be hopelessly overgeneralised at some level. Having twelve actually、uh, radically different people allows you to see the heterogeneity of, of Trinidad as it would of any other place. I mean,、um, and each one has different, in a sense, things to bring to the overall picture. I mean, the, for example, the contradictions between privacy and being very public, or the relationship to community. Or the degree of dependence upon Facebook within Trinidad as a whole, you're going to find that Trinidad is a very diverse、uh, society.、Um, it's also a, a remarkably, it's a very well-educated society. It's very articulate, and people like to get engaged with things like Facebook quite quickly. As I argue, I think that Trinidad is probably ahead of the game in terms of trying to understand what's going on in the study of new technologies such as Facebook. I suppose there's an underlying. Theme in the book that you're seeking to challenge some of the misapprehensions that have grown up about Facebook and show that they they ain't necessarily so. One of them is that it's because it's the the product of a U.S. corporation, it must have a a U.S. corporate sort of hegemonic hold over the people who use it, and you find that not to be true. 
No, I think the point I would make in the book is that um, Facebook might have been developed by a particular corporation and there's a relentless focus on the likes of Mark Zuckerberg now and the particular trajectory of Facebook. Um, even that, to be honest, is misleading. If you look back historically, um, there was Friendster, there was MySpace, there were other social networking sites that had quite different points of origin that might have ended up as the dominant work. I think putting things back to their origins is, is, is a problem because what we have to deal with is what Facebook now has become. Now, the people who developed Facebook in Harvard uh, University had absolutely no idea that this was going to become an important point of Trinidadian life. They weren't devising it with that in mind. They weren't orientating it to Trinidad. So what I actually encounter with people in Trinidad is something that Trinidadians do. It's the Facebook that they have created in terms of their interests and the cultural propensities of, of Trinids. And I think that that's the only point at which you can really say what Facebook is now becoming. Um, you can't get it from just knowing about the corporation. What about the, the widespread feeling that it's a waste of time? It's you, you call one of your, your chapters Time Suck. Yes, I mean, I'm not sure it's easy for anybody to adjudicate how people should or should not be, as it were, using their leisure time. But I think that um, if you compare f Facebook to the things that it uh, competes with, as it were, it's very hard to say that, say, television, which is a relatively passive pursuit for most people, is somehow a better use of time, or gaming as it used to be, um, is a better use of time than something that is actually so social interactive as uh, Facebook. I mean, people kept complaining that these older media didn't involve interacting with other people. Now they seem to get a new mechanism which is actually called a social network and is all about interacting with other people. And in a sense, they're still not satisfied. But Facebook, of course, I don't want to suggest that you know it's a panacea or it's necessarily all positive. Um, that can have very negative effects as all social interactions can. But I think that uh, the idea that it simply can be dismissed as, as a, a waste of time, at least relative to the other uses of time that people might have in their leisure. No, I think I, I can't but be a bit positive about Facebook in that regard. Now, what about the erotics of Facebook? Because that, that is also a running thread. You, know, you start off with a, the portrait of a man who runs a cocoa plantation and he has his wife looking over his shoulder all the time to see what other women he's in touch with. But you also write about, for example, a teenager who finds it easier to to interact with members of the opposite sex and sort of try things out by, by means of Facebook. And there's also the whole, you know, the, the whole fact that, that sex and banter seem to be very much part of the, the whole discourse of Trinidadian culture. So what did you, what conclusions did you begin to draw um, on that, that aspect of Facebook? Yes, I think that in order for Facebook to become, as it were, Trinidadian, um, it has to take on uh, that aspect of Trinidadian culture. And it is I think the case that to learn, say, the language of Trinidad, the dialect, um, there's always what you appear to be saying, but there's usually also a sort of background innuendo, which tends to banter and flirtation. It's often very clever. I mean, one of the problems about talking about something being related to sex or erotic is, to, is that seen as a kind of narrowing it down. But actually, when um, you come to a place like Trinidad, you see that actually this is a much wider sphere, that it's not really, sex is not just about sex. It's actually um, an idiot that people use to deal with all sorts of different aspects of, of society. It's a place uh, where people can be clever or competitive and also, of course, uh, just simply develop their interests in each other, as well as possibly have sex. 
And one of the kind of uh, starting points of that was just, if you like, the, the sheer coincidence was that Trinidad is one country where the very word to friend already existed as a verb. In Trinidad dialect, it meant to have sex with. So it was hard not to start on that kind of line of inquiry when you get something like Facebook, which is all about friending people. Now, I don't actually think that, um, how should I put it, there's a kind of semantic determination there. I think people are quite capable of understanding the difference between one kind of friending and another kind of friending. Nevertheless, it, it does help you understand how um, Facebook permeates into different aspects of society. And it does relate to these issues of scandal and bacchanal and so, and truth indeed, which I think uh, all revolve around often issues of, of sex and exposure in Trinidad. But it wouldn't just be true of Trinidad. I mean, if in terms of the social interactions that go on in London, in a pub or elsewhere, I mean, so much of that kind of banter is sort of at least bordering on are we in fact talking about something else at the same time? And again, it's seen as the sort of cleverness of, of whether it's explicitly there or whether one can actually put that level of, of communication uh, in, in that kind of ambiguous position where you're really not sure whether they are or they're not meaning something by this. And I think the fact that Facebook is used as a communicative medium, which so much of it is kind of uh, banter, etc., makes it not surprising that it feeds on what I would say is the richness, actually, of that kind of cultural interaction. There's an awful lot of, of play and excitement and things going on there. But you, you, you venture the the suggestion that it may be a, actually a conservative moral force because it makes it much more difficult for people to have illicit liaison because who knows when they might pop up in the background in a picture and be spotted by one of their friends. I think that's true. I mean, I tend to veer away from a sort of simple technological determinism, but I had previously studied mobile phones. In that case, it was in Jamaica, and it was pretty clear that mobile phones in and of themselves led to an increase in illicit sexual relations. I mean, it was just so easy to arrange to see somebody so well, behind the back. And it was curious that you have this one technology that leads to, to one change in sexual behaviour. And in some ways, I think Facebook does precisely the opposite, because people are starting to realise that, that before they were, you know, they were relatively discreet. They were, let's say, in another town, but they were with, we would call their mistress. In Trinidad, it's called the deputy or the outside woman. But so many people now can take photos from mobile phones, upload it onto Facebook. It gets tagged. And suddenly everyone's aware that, you know, how come you were with this person when you weren't, when you said you were somewhere else? And I think there's been a rather interesting uh, opposition here between the impact of mobile phones on the one hand and Facebook on the other. And yes, I think would would go down the line and say that I think Facebook is actually going to lead to a decrease in uh, adulterous relationships in Trinidad. Do you see other conservative aspects to Facebook in terms of community and cohesion and drawing together rather than spreading apart? Oh, I think the f the, to understand Facebook, it is much better to regard it as essentially as a conservative media rather than some kind of unprecedented vanguard of the new. And my overall argument about Facebook is that there have been many changes in modern life that have led to separation, led to people being, say, more transnational, led to a certain individualism, and the decline of the more intensive 
uh, forms of social relations that, that used to exist in, in, in many other societies. And I think that the biggest impact of Facebook is that people recognize this and actually regret that loss, but have found through Facebook a way to bring back many of the kinds of social relations that actually were becoming rather attenuated. Uh, whereas the internet actually tended to lead us to have sort of separate little interest groups. So people call them communities, but frankly they weren't. They were just different bodies of interest groups that formed their own network on internet. But the point about Facebook is it's much more like an open digital community because it actually brings all the different um, social networks back into the same place. So kinship is there, friendship is there, work colleagues are there, and they're all kind of in view of each other. And that, I think, is very different from the older impacts of the internet, almost, again, the reverse of what the internet was doing. And I think this is essentially best understood as conservative. It, 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 people are looking back to the way social relations used to be, or they imagine social relations used to be, and using Facebook to resurrect those. I thought it, I thought it was quite amusing that one of the most sort of unsettling things to happen to one of your respondents was her mother to become very active on mm. Facebook, and then to sort of leapfrog her daughter and become in regular touch with the daughter's friends. And I wondered if I wondered how that would how that might play out as as Facebook expands its sort of generational embrace. I think that it is the classic moment, actually, in the history of Facebook. And there are many jokes about it on YouTube, um, which go under the title, you know, my mother tried to friend me on Facebook. And that was the moment, really, when Facebook stops being just a kind of college and fraternity kind of groupings um, uh, based around universities. And you get this interaction between friendship and kinship, the family much more generally, because then the cousins come on board and all the other relatives come on board, and they're in the same place. This is something that I think will have a, a major impact. And on the whole, I actually think it's a relatively benign impact, because it leads to um, a, a greater sort of maturity in recognising that, you know, we all have our wider circulations. Now, I don't want to, to, again, be over positive. I've seen desperately awful things happen as a result. I mean, I remember actually in the Philippines, uh, in the Trinidad, one of these left behind children whose mother was working abroad. And of course, he had his image of who his mother really was, that, that was very important to him, that, you know, he kept in his heart, as it were, given that she was working abroad and suddenly went on, the friends do it was rather than Facebook. And she was there with all those photos, you know, partying in the way people do in Facebook. And this completely destroyed his image of who his mother was and I think was devastating for him. So um, it's not all going to be for the good. All the effects of Facebook are always going to be contradictory. But I think that complexity, um, the way in which you suddenly have to deal with the interplay between different social relations, is actually closer to the way we, we, we what we think of when we're talking about neighbourhood or community or those kind of more intense social relations. They were never all positive. There are always conflicts going on. Um, somebody that is that close to you can also have a much longer term quarrel with. But nevertheless, Facebook brings that back. And I think that that is probably one of the most important consequences Facebook is going to have. I mean, Facebook is so recent, isn't it, really, that I was thinking the 12 months of your research, things must have been moving on and changing even in, in that space of time. Yes, I mean, for example, Facebook is constantly changing the way it actually works in infrastructure, often uh, resisted by its users, but nevertheless. You find, for example, that there's a, a new interest in uh, location, 
based, uh, which actually uh, is even worse for issues of privacy than mm. the, 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 the those that existed before that Jonas was very concerned about. And that's being brought on Facebook. I mean, it's only taking off kind of now. But I think the biggest change actually in Facebook, which I think that um, the Trinidad study is trying to point towards, is its global reach. The fact that we really don't know what an earth's going on when Facebook is essentially, let's say, the, the mainstream for religious communities in Indonesia or rural women in, in, in Turkey, etc. Um, so I think that uh, that continual global spread is the immediate future of Facebook, um, just that growing diversity and the need to understand what it is becoming in each place. And if you were to stick your neck out, finally, Danny, and talk about the changes in usage that you see as particularly prominent, what do you think that over the next year or so will become become more prominent? What's, in, what's emergent? I'm actually one of those who's very reluctant. I won't even, uh, to be honest, study um, technologies that have just newly come on the market. I think you always wait until they're well embedded in populations and part of mundane usage before you really see um, what's going on. And the only prediction I will make, I suppose two predictions, one is that um, it'll be different from what we expect, but the other is this point about diversity, that I think that we will start to recognise that Facebook is being recreated in each and every context in which it becomes part of that mundane usage. And without actually going, in a sense, doing what I was trying to do, and seeing how people are employing it and seeing how they're appropriating it in terms of local interest, we won't know what it is. So I think Facebook will no longer be Facebook. We will start to realise that um, it's essentially a plural term um, that actually uh, relates to a vast number of different usages with different consequences in different places. Daniel Miller. His new book, Tales from Facebook, is available now. You can find full details about this book as well as Danny's other polity titles on the polity website at polity.co.uk. I hope you'll join me again soon for another polity podcast, and until then, thank you very much for listening, and goodbye.